Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to turn your garden into a smart garden on News Radio 830 WCCO. Smart Gardens, an hour of expert advice and answers to all of your lawn and gardening questions. You can call 989-9226 or text us at 81807. Now, here's Denny Law with this week's Smart Garden. And along with Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota, is it, it's balmy. It is it? lovely out. <laughs> I don't even have to wear a hat. <laughs> it's, it's great. Isn't that something? <laughs> 17 degrees is the current temperature. No parka today. We have begun our, uh, yes, we, we talk, if you're new to the show, this is a lawn and garden show. <laughs> And they still exist somewhere underneath the frozen tundra. Uh, and let's talk about the cold weather. But I want to alert our listeners that our friends at uh, By the Yard, Smart Garden, are sponsored by our friends at By the Yard. Maintenance-free outdoor furniture, visit ByTheYard.net, and we thank them for, uh, for doing so, sponsoring this show. Everybody's been talking about the weather. Did it's you, been a wacky did January. You, did you guys have a, a neg- negative besides being cold? I mean, did you have cars not starting or things like that? We or? did not, but I know my brother had both cars that didn't work. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, and I'm sure that it was the same around uh, for a lot of folks, too. And I'm so sorry to hear about people's pipes bursting. And, True. oh, man, I feel so fortunate that didn't happen at our neighborhood. So, um, but, yeah. It was a wicked month. We had, I, I looked on Mark. You have statistics for uh, I do, I do. I looked at Mark Seeley, who's our uh, climatologist at the University of Minnesota. He's uh, retired, actually, but he's still writing his Minnesota Weather Talk blog. So if you are into weather, as all Minnesotans are. How do we find are, that? I'd like to see that. Uh, you can find that at, um, I think you can just Google it, but it's just uh, weathertalk.extension.umn.edu. Okay. So take a look at that. And it's fun to read. It comes out every Friday. And he even did a special uh, posting this past week because of the extreme weather. But one of the things he wrote about yesterday is that in January, the first half of January, uh, we had some of the warmest temperatures on record, 11 to 13 degrees warmer than normal. Wow. We kind of forgot about that. And yet the mean temperature, the average temperature was one to four degrees colder than normal because the second half of January, we broke records in cold, as we all know, because we've heard that on television stuff, 12 to 16 degrees colder, Fahrenheit, colder than normal. And uh, the coldest wind chill on, on the 30th was in Hibbing, minus 65. That's wind chill or air That was temp? wind chill. Okay. That was wind chill. But, um, but yeah, it was, I mean, could it have been more dramatic this it's a good year. word for it it was just incredible and we had very little snowfall and that puts a you know a red flag up for all the plant people because that makes it especially especially difficult for plant roots to survive this kind of extreme swings in 
uh, weather, and that's so was, a sign of climate change. I wanted to ask you about that. About the, 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 it was like a double whammy. Not only do do we not, at least around here, have snow cover, but right. then we have the severe cold. Right. Yeah. And that cold. What does provides, that really do to the uh, plants? Is, well, the cold, the that. snow provides an insulating cover, so it actually will act kind of like a winter mulch in that it. And I've said this before on the show, where it helps to modify or moderate moderate the soil temperatures. At least it keeps them from being so extreme. So. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. The one good thing about the cold is is that on another great blog that we have that's written by our forestry folks and natural resources is called My Minnesota Woods. And if you are a tree person or you own forest land, it's a great resource for that. Uh, and it's just myminnesotawoods.extension.umn.edu. Uh, okay. I, I don't know if there's an extension in there or not. But anyway... The good thing is is that research has found that emerald ash borer larvae, so these are the larvae, these are the little caterpillars of the emerald ash borer that are living underneath the bark of trees, and they overwinter there. And they, when the air temperature reaches minus 29, which it did yeah. in a few days, 90% of the larvae have been shown to die. Good. Yeah. Yay. Yay for cold weather. <laughs> uh, they, they, and because we didn't have any snow to insulate the bark, that was even more assurance that uh, we were able to uh, knock down some of the population. Now, it doesn't take the threat away, so, but, uh, but it does help to allow for our foresters and our arborists and homeowners to, to treat and manage and, you know, uh, replant and to uh, work a little bit, you know, gives them a little bit of time to, uh, you know, it's not quite so urgent this coming year, but they can then uh, get their uh, plans together and, and do some of that work. But that's one good thing about the cold. And I would imagine, Julie, that uh, we'll be during the show getting <laughs> calls exactly or, or text say. messages about the Japanese beetle. <laughs> the infamous Japanese yeah. beetle. You know we're going to hear about I it. I know. Ask about it. I know. So I tell you what, let's do this. Let's invite our listeners to join in. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, uh, call it in or text it in. 651-989-9226. Uh, the text number, we're already getting those, 81807. If that's easier, send it to Julie a text, 81807. Uh, Julie, Tom is calling from Apple Valley with a question. Hi, Tom. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thanks Good morning. for the call. Um, is there a variety of American chestnut, a newer variety, that I can uh, plant and use for reforestation that would uh, resist the blight that took the American chestnut you know, uh, years ago? Yeah, I, it's such a sad story. I do not think there is. Um, that would be a great question. Actually, on My Minnesota Woods, that website that I just mentioned, that would be a great question to broach to them. Because that is uh, the kind of area that they're dealing with. But I am not aware of a type that's resistant to the blight. What do you think that website is again? For My Minnesota Woods. And uh, I want to say it's myminnesotawoods.extension.umn.edu. But if you Google My Minnesota Woods. But if you Google My Minnesota Woods, you'll come up with it. It's a great website written by our forestry experts. All right. Very good. Text number 81. Thank you, Tom. Text. uh, That leaves the line open at uh, 651-989-9226. Again, text number 81807. Here's a text, Julie. says, we have a very large, beautiful old magnolia tree north side of our house in St. Paul. Last summer, it became infected with magnolia scale. The insects attracted to it made using the yard difficult for a few weeks in July. Is it worth trying to pay for treatments or save it, or is it better to invest in a new, maybe different tree? Any recommendations? Somebody asked that question last week uh, at the Master Gardener Conference, or Master Gardener Core Course, sorry. And, uh, you know, 
I'm dealing with scale on my Meyer lemon tree, and I have tried everything. That's just a little dinky tree indoors. <laughs> um, on a magnolia and the magnolia scale in particular, there are there are systemic uh, pesticides that are injected or drenched in the soil of the tree and taken up by the tree and and transported throughout the entire tree. The problem is is that a lot of them may be harmful to pollinators, so uh, that's a consideration. Um, and yet it is really hard to get rid of scale. And so I guess my question would be, to what extent is the scale uh, affecting the tree? Is it on one branch? Is it on half the tree? Is it, on, is it throughout the entire tree? And I'll go with my standard response, and I would say if it's a tree that you truly, really, truly love and you are, you know, pretty dedicated to trying to save it, I would get an arborist in there to take a look at it. They're going to have to, or a tree company, you know, through a tree company, they're going to have to do the application anyway. Yeah. So I think you could come and have them assess it, do a quote, and then you could then you could kind of weigh the keep the tree or change the tree um, and uh, and decide that. It is going to be an ongoing problem, though, for quite some time, for quite a few years. So if that is um, not something you want to invest in, then I would go with the new tree. All right. Uh, tell you what, before we go back to the text uh, screen, by the way, that number is 81807. Let's uh, pick up on some phone calls. Uh, Marion, I believe, is calling from uh, Crystal. Hi, Marion. Hi. Good morning. Hi, good morning. I hope you don't mind answering a houseplant. No. No, not again. at all. <laughs> Please. Um, I have a, this, I'm wondering how I can keep a plant. Um, my palm is, is, is over five feet again, and, and then it starts to drop leaves, uh, you know. And I, I'm, it's in the biggest pot that I'm going to do. I'm sure. not going to attempt to transplant it to something bigger. And I'm wondering how can I keep them from, you know, getting outgrowing their pots. Okay. So palms are palms are relatively large house plants, and it sounds like yours is really healthy <laughs> if it's over five feet tall. It, the The issue with palms is you can't cut them back. It's not like a hibiscus that you can trim back, uh, you know, the the branches to make it a smaller uh, plant or something like that. It is a plant that needs to just, it is just as big as it is. And if you are not going to, uh, if it's too big for your house, you can find a new home for it. You can ask your friends or neighbors to see if somebody would want it. Uh, I think it would be great if someone offered uh, somebody a, a nice palm that's healthy. And uh, and maybe then start with a new plant and just get a new plant. So um, the branches, the fronds do fall off when they die, which is normal. Uh, but there's no way to trim it back or head it back to make it smaller. So I would say find a new home for it. Maybe replace it with something else. Okay. Julie, we need to take a quick break here. Callers on the line, stay there. Texters, uh, you can uh, line up more text if you like, 81807. Or call us. Call Julie at 651-989-9226. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show, brought to us by our friends at By the Yard Patio Furniture. We're taking your calls as usual and text messages as well. If you're just joining us, Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M has uh, a warm thought out <laughs> to come back into yeah. the studio and help us out, help you out. So call Julie or send a text. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's do that. Before I get more text your way, Julie, Tim is calling from uh, Spicer, I believe, where everything is nicer. Great. Tim, what is your question, please? <laughs> hey, good morning. I'm really glad I, I tuned in this morning. 
say I have a, about a 20 acre woods and I'm trying to transform it from basswoods and box elders uh, to where we can come in and plant maples. And I'm not sure whether to do black maples or uh, silver maples or, or just wondering sure. if there's an arborist that could come out and, and take a look at the land and, and recommend the best tree for the soil type. So great question. And, you know, bully for you for doing that. That's a, that's a really cool, uh, cool project. I would say, first of all, Go to My Minnesota Woods, that blog that I mentioned earlier, and you can just Google My Minnesota Woods. That is exactly a website that you should look at, having a 20-acre wood. And uh, they have a lot of good things called the, they have Woodland um, Advocate or Woodland Advisor classes that help with pe- help people who own forestry area or woodland area. So that would be a great resource to start with. And I think there you will be able to find maybe some classes in the area or something online like a webinar that you could watch. But I would mm-hmm. go also, if you're looking for an arborist, I would uh, visit our Yard and Garden page and go under Trees and Shrubs. And we have a um, we have a publication called How to Hire a Certified Arborist, and that you can put your zip code in and find out uh, you know where you can actually reach somebody in your area who's certified and an arborist. So that's my recommendation there. But what a cool project! Yeah. I I'm not aware. I don't know if I'd go with silver maples. That is a native maple here, but um, but it's going to depend on yeah your soil type and um, but. Boy, it sounds like a great project. I, I my hats off to you for that. And you're right; we do have a lot of great arborists. We do, here. we do. We're for lucky sure. in Minnesota. Yeah, we are. All right, very good. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six, or text us eight one eight zero seven. Before we grab another text, Kathy is calling from Rogers. Kathy, good morning. You're on with Julie. Good morning. Good morning. I was told to completely stop watering my Christmas cactus in late September in order to promote blooms. Um, is that true? And I also wonder what type of fertilizer I should use and how often should I fertilize it? Okay. Did your Christmas cactus bloom? Um, it did. Okay. Well, good. That's great. Um, but it really doesn't have to do with the watering. And uh, the one thing about Christmas cactus is they they really do kind of like to be dried out. They are not, um, even though they feel kind of like a succulent or a, a plant that might need a lot of water, they really don't. Um, and okay. the important thing with them is to allow them to drain very well after you water them. So place the plant in the sink, give it a good soaking, and let it drain out. That's That's one of the killers is when they don't drain. Okay. Um, but really Christmas cactus and holiday cactus in general, we also have... A Thanksgiving cactus, which is a different species. I just did a talk on this uh, oh. Friday. Um, they actually respond to cold temperatures and low light. So as we move into uh, shorter days, that is uh, prompting the plant to set bud. And then cooler temperatures also prompts that plant to set bud. So while you stopped watering it, it maybe gave it a chance to dry out a little bit, but it was really the cooler temperatures and the lower light, the less daylight that uh, promoted okay. that that uh, budding. We have a great publication on our extension site, so you can visit the Yard and Garden page and then uh, go to House Plants, and it's all about holiday cacti, and it has information about the temperature and the light and, and why that works. It's called a photoperiod plant. It mm. responds to short days. Okay. There you go, Kathy. Uh-huh. 
Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You bet. We appreciate your call. Thank you. 651-989-9226. As predicted, a couple of texts about the Japanese (laughs) beetles and the cold weather. Will it kill the larvae, the Japanese beetle larvae, or or will any other critter perish? Well, geez, I sure hope so. Um, The larvae in the spring are at their largest size, so (laughs) they're the hardest larvae to kill. Uh, at that size, we want to kill them when they're smaller, which is later in the summer. And and we have a terrific new Japanese beetle publication uh-huh. on our extension site too. Jeff Hahn, our entomologist, who's fantastic, and I put this together. And we tried, we took a lot of the questions people offer on this show, mm. and we tried to answer them through the information. And uh, and so hopefully, cross our fingers, we'll have a lower population uh, to deal with. But who knows? We just don't know. Sorry. Give us uh, the uh, university website again. Extension.umn.edu. Um, go to Yard and Garden, and you can find a whole bunch of new information and uh, also kind of a new look to it. So it's looking fantastic. You guys did have been putting a Our lot of work in that. people yeah. really, uh, really uh, worked hard on it. Tell you what, I know we have to take a quick break here. We'll have a look at that forecast, and it will be above zero. And uh, we'll have about another half hour of the show to go, but don't wait to call in, Julie, uh, or text in. The phone number is 651-989-9226, or you can uh, text in your lawn or garden question to 81807. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. If you happen to have a lawn or garden question, call it in or text it in. Julie Weisenhorn is back with us from the University of Minnesota, 651-989-9226, or text 81807. A reminder, our Smart Garden Show is brought to us by By the Yard, maintenance-free outdoor furniture. Visit, I hope you do, bytheyard.net. Check out that great color catalog they have. All right, Julie, we have texters, and I want to open up the phone lines again. We have about another... uh, Oh, 25 minutes or so of the show to go. Uh, is there is there a, a text that you want to ask? Uh, two people asked about the um, uh, climatologist uh, yes. blog and also My Minnesota Woods. So My Minnesota Woods is just myminnesotawoods.umn.edu. And uh, the Minnesota Weather Talk is, um, I'm just looking it up right sure. now. <laughs> but uh, that is just Minnesota Weather Talk. Dot umn.edu, I believe. Okay. So, All right. We'll mention so that. Blog hyphen weathertalk.extension.umn.edu. Okay. We better repeat that before you leave us today. Yep. Okay. We will do that. All right. Uh, call Julie with your lawn and garden question. As we said, there's a line open at 651 989 9226. Again, if it's easier, and folks seem to th- think so, text Julie 818. 818- Eight zero seven. Right. Want to grab a text? So somebody also mentioned here uh, the covering on plants does not protect from cold. It prevents the repeated freezing and thawing and freezing and thawing that occurs in the spring, which is what kills and damages plants. That is true. That is the freeze thaw cycle, and that's what I meant by moderating soil temperatures. So when when soil is covered in the in the fall, it actually will help to that uh, temperature to gradually freeze the soil, and in the spring it gradually will thaw out. So it's the unprotected soil that goes through that freeze-thaw cycle that the texter mentioned. So thanks for clarifying that, and glad to uh, be able to do that. Okay. Uh, since Phil, meaning Puxitani <laughs> Phil, did not see his shadow this morning, they want to know, texter does, will we start seeing 70 degrees oh. by April 15th? 
Let me get out my crystal ball oh, and take a look. Yeah. <laughs> I you don't never know. know. Yeah, we never know in that Minnesota, depends. do we? That depends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I sun- hope not. It's too too warm. I do think sunflowers grow in the shade? No, sunflowers are full sun plants, yeah. and if they do happen to bloom a little bit in the shade, it's because they're just on the edge of shade, maybe, uh, and they'll be kind of wimpy and not uh, not very robust. So plant them in the sun where they belong. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. If you want to use the phone to chat with Julie, uh, text again is eight one eight zero seven. We are looking at getting rid of our problematic birch tree in our front yard. Texter says. Want to replace it with a flowering tree? What are the good choices for this area? So, and actually, that one goes along with another one that somebody mentioned. Ohio buckeye is a good alternative for American chestnut. Yes, it is. It's a that's a cool tree. We have those all over campus, and uh, now they do have the nuts to deal with, and you do get a lot of squirrels digging up those nuts. But uh, it's a pretty cool tree. Um, so actually, Ohio Buckeye is a great flowering tree to replace that birch with. Crab apples, number one flowering tree, I think, in Minnesota. And the advice with crab apples is, I mean, first of all, you have sizes galore, colors, shapes, uh, but also look for something that's disease resistant. And we have crabs that have been bred for uh, to be resistant to apple scab and some other uh, disease issues that they have. So take a look at that. Choose a disease resistant. Are they, are they crab. pretty easily found around? Very there? easily they found. Okay. Lots of options. Um, even though we talked about magnolia scale before, I'm real fond of magnolia. I think it's beautiful. Amelanchier, uh, serviceberry, that's a great tree. And that actually has edible fruit on it. That's a beautiful tree. And you can buy those in multi-stem or also single-stem as well. Do you know anything? I know, I know Rob Hahn does. <laughs> um, about army cal- tent army caterpillars have a life cycle. Some years the texture says yes. we have to spray. Other years we have none. Yeah, that's true. And that's true of all insects. There's a life cycle uh, that they go through. And some years the weather is uh, you know, beneficial to them. Some years it's not, so uh, we won't know until um, we start to, you know, get up, kind of get our feet under us as far as what kind of a spring we're going to be having. But yeah, they're messy. You know, they're they're kind of creepy and <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. And they're um, they do defoliate the trees too, but they uh-huh. only last a little while. They're only around for a couple of weeks. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Julie, let's go back to the phones. Marcia is calling, I believe, from Nicollet. Uh, Marcia, Julie's listening. What's your question? Yeah. Yes. Hi. Good morning. Uh, morning. Um, I have two questions. I have a a question about butterfly bush and a question about dahlias. Now, I tried planting butterfly bush a year or two ago, and of course they froze out, even though I had caged them and mulched them. And so I was wondering, could I plant them in pots and then um, bring them in? I have um, a small attached greenhouse on my house. Oh, nice. It, yeah. That's pretty <laughs> Could cool. Could I bring them in and um, overwinter them in that? I don't really heat it much during the winter, sure. but it doesn't get bitterly, bitterly cold in there. It usually doesn't get down below 30 or 20 degrees. Would that I would, work for those? I would say that's a great alternative. I would give it a shot. Um, you could trim them back so that they're not having to support a lot of foliage and just bring okay. them in and maybe give them water once a month, you know, just to oh. keep them from, from really... Uh, completely drying out. Uh-huh. Um, I would oh. I would try with a several of them and, and maybe try a few different things to see which which successful for you. But that's a great way to overwinter those, I think. Okay, great. Thank you. The yeah, other you question bet. I have is about dahlias. Okay. I was given some dahlias about two years ago in pots. And then this last summer, I just kept them in the pots and they grew. And so 
so now this fall, I took them out of the pots and I have them in a dark, cool storage area. Okay. So what do I do with them now? When, when should I bring those out and plant them or what should I do? Yeah, I think I would start planting them. I'd plant them up in, you know, this month or early March, put them in a sunny window and then uh, they'll sprout and uh, you can, you know, get them outside as soon as the weather warms up to a decent temperature. Okay. Is it okay to leave them in pots or or do they do better in the ground? Um, I think, let's see, I'm not a Dahlia expert, um, but I think that they would be, I mean, they are going to grow probably a little bit better in, well, I don't know, maybe, I don't think it would matter. It depends on how big the pot is. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you could grow them. You could put them in the garden. I think you could put them in pots and then transplant them in the garden. I would wait. I would start them a little bit later maybe, uh, maybe into later March, just so that they're not huge plants by the time they go out. Right. Okay. Okay, great. All right. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, Thanks, Marcia. Appreciate that. Maybe Six- even April for that. I, you don't want to transplant them when they're big and have buds, so you want to get them when they're just starting to sprout. Okay. All right. Maybe we'll get a report from Marsha after. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Report back. Uh, Doug is calling from Maple Grove, I believe. Doug, you're on CCO with Julie. Good morning. Thank Good you. Good morning. Uh, I have a passion flower that oh, was yeah, those are cool. uh, brought about from a root this summer, and a friend of mine gave me, and I'm afraid that it's uh, wilting a bit and the leaves seem to be yellowing. Could I be overwatering that? Uh, possibly. That was my first thought when you mentioned that it was wilting and the leaves were uh, yellowing. So uh, you want to have a pot that has good drainage. Uh-huh. And then okay. uh, it might be a good opportunity if the plant isn't, is it very large right now? Oh, it's about eight inches tall. Oh, okay. So it's not huge yet though. No. Uh-uh. So, yeah. So I would, uh, I would slow down on the watering and uh, and make sure that the container that it's growing in has good drainage. So like that Christmas cactus question, I would set it yeah. in the sink, water it well, uh, and then make sure it drains really well, and then put it back in a sunny window. If that sure. if it doesn't and seem to perk up, you might want to just transplant it into some fresh soil. Yep, and you said a sunny window. Right. All right, and we'll try that. Okay. Thank you much. You All bet. right, very good. Thank you for the call. That leaves the line open at 651-989-9226. Text, meanwhile, 81807. That's yes, the you? first passion flower question I've had on this show. Oh, really? Mark that down. <laughs> yeah. Texter wants to know, Julie, uh, having big hostas around all my oak trees, is that harmful in any way? Not at all. Oh. Nope. Not a problem. Nope. That is a nice way to cover up uh, bare soil and, and protect the roots, keep them cool. Okay, let's go back to the phones. Uh, I think uh, Jeannie's calling from uh, Montgomery. Jeannie, good morning. Hey, kids. How is everybody fair in the horrible weather? <laughs> oh, it's great today. It's balmy today. Hey, Julie, I got a question. My neighbor, CRP, is going to be coming off, uh, and he's going to plow it up this spring. He's given me permission to go out and cut all the wildflowers that I want off of it and uh, take the seeds. Sure. So about a month ago, it was really beautiful outside, and I, I, I well, I'm going to pick a bunch of these cone flowers, and uh, the seeds hadn't really sprayed out yet. So I'm wondering, has there been enough stratification done to those particular seeds? Um, I have them in the house right now. I got about a half a gallon uh, Ziploc bags worth of seeds, which Whoa. is just tremendous. But I don't know if I should be keeping these outside or in the fridge or what should I do with these? I think I'd keep them in the fridge. I think I would just extend that. You're not going to hurt them at all by keeping them cool. Plus it'll uh, prevent them from drying out too much. So I'd, 
I think you're right to wonder about the stratification. That's the cold period the, for those who are listening. It's like a simulated winter, so to speak. And uh, and seeds that have to go through a cold period sometimes before they'll actually germinate. So, But I think, Jeannie, that's a great idea is just keep them in the fridge and then, uh, you know, go for it in the spring. What a great thing. That's nice that your neighbor let you do that. It's is really, that really cool? Would you, Jeannie, use stratification? Yeah. What? So that's the cold period. That that's, is that's the cold period. Putting seeds into a cold uh, climate or cold environment to prevent, to increase their chances of germinating. It, it's a... It prompts the seed to germinate gotcha. when you take it out. All right. If you want to call in your lawn or garden question, 651-989-9226. Again, we've got a bunch of text messages we got to get to, too. But I don't want to keep folks uh, <laughs> hanging on the line as well. Let's see who is next. Uh, I think Greg is calling from Somerset, I believe. Greg, good morning. Good morning. How good morning. can we help you? Uh, I got a white pine. It's probably, uh, oh, gosh, I don't know, 40 feet tall in the Ooh. backyard. And uh, last winter, I noticed it's got uh, a branch, probably about a four-inch diameter branch coming off the main trunk of the tree, and it was really yellowish looking, and it was like steadily losing needles, and didn't lose them all, and then I think not, I thought, geez, I just hope it ain't dying or something, and Come summer, the rest of the tree really looked good, and that grew some needles on, more you know, replacement needles. Okay. And they never really looked right. And now this winter, the same thing again. It's real yellowish looking. Uh, do I just lop that limb off? Can I intercept some kind of sickness it has? Or what? Whoa, that's a good question. Um, so the branch refoliated somewhat this past year. Yeah, it never got full like the rest of the limbs on the tree. And then it just went right back to the same thing. This, I mean, it sticks out like a sore thumb. You sure. know, the, so I think uh, that's a that's a good arborist question. Um, my my inclination would be to cut it off, but I think I would talk to an arborist first. And right. uh, because that tree is forty feet tall and it's a white pine, I mean, it's a beautiful tree. You don't want to lose it, and so it would uh, be a good idea, I think, to call in a certified arborist to take a look at it. All right, good idea. Yeah. Uh, That's let's another see. question I've never had <laughs> before. Wow. It stumped Julie there. Yeah, I, I, boy, I, I, it sounds to me like there's an infection in that particular branch, and you certainly don't want it to spread to the rest, rest of the uh But again, we've got so many good arborists around. I know. Though, yeah, why take so. a chance, right? right. Uh, thanks, Greg. Uh, Claudette's calling from Maplewood. Claudette, good morning. Good morning to you people. I have a question about my quick fire hydrangeas. I have two of them. Okay. One I uh, has been in about three years. I did not cut it back uh, this past fall. Okay. So I'm wondering how how when do I cut that back and how far down? My other question is I planted a new one last uh, summer, and I want to transplant that now to a different area. When can I do that? Uh, both of the answers would be in the spring. So uh, so with hydrangeas, one of the nice things about hydrangeas is because of the flower heads, they can provide some winter interest. So you really don't have to cut them back in the fall, and you can actually have that nice winter interest. I have a quick fire. I love it. It's great. Um, and I think that so when the buds start to swell and they start to even break, in other words, they start to open up, then you can prune it back, uh, prune off those dead flower heads, and kind of shape the the plant, you know, prune the branches so that you're getting light to the branches 
and uh, and it's down. You know, you can come down into the woody area, and uh, and just snip it off. Use a nice clean pruner. Snip it off right before one of the uh, you know a big bud. As far as transplanting, that you'd want to do that in the spring before they break bud. So if possible. So you want to move that plant uh, either just before or I, I think even if it breaks bud, you could do it too. So as soon as those buds start to swell, you can move it you know, into a brighter, sunnier spot or whatever you need to do. So spring is the answer for both of those. All right. Julie, we need to take a quick break, and I want to alert our listeners. We have more show to come. Call in your uh, lawn or garden question or text it in. Well, I think, Dave, you should wait till Monday to come back. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, you can join me tomorrow. That'd be fine, too. We're buds. 17 degrees in the Twin Cities. I don't Cities. know what just happened there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Dave Lee, of course, Monday oh, through Friday oh, oh, got it, here got on it. CCR Pal. <laughs> Good photographer, too, by the way. Right over my head. 651-989-9226. We're in the midst of our lawn and garden show called Smart Garden, brought to us by our friends at By the Yard Outdoor Furniture. Julie Weisenhorn is with us. As you can see, Julie, we have a lot of uh, text messages yeah. we'll pick up on. But Claire has been waiting there in St. Paul with a question. Claire, thank you. What is your question for Julie? I want to ask about African violets. Sure. Now, I have, in the past, years ago, had the little planters that I could water them through a wick that reached up through the bottom. Yes, yes. But I can't find those kind of planters anymore. So what I did was put them in a dish with water in them and hoping they're they're watered that way but they don't seem to grow very much and bloom very often okay that could be light related uh that they need you know they like to be on a windowsill they do great there and uh and they need a fair amount of uh light it could um so but your watering the watering is great bottom watering for african violets are is a good way to do it because they have such furry leaves, and if they get some water on those leaves, you can get leaf spot issues. Uh, and they're very—they're so dense. Their crown is so dense that it's hard to even get a watering can into there. And uh, so under bottom watering is terrific. And you can do that. They don't have to sit on water all the time. In fact, they shouldn't sit in water. They need to actually dry out a little bit before you water them. So um, when they are dry... You can set them in a container with water, let them, you know, let it take up the water. Uh, I don't know where to find the Wix information, uh, but, you know, if you go to our website, um, I actually created a, a planter with a wick in it. And you just can run a, a nylon string down uh, through the pot on the edge of the pot and let it come out the bottom hole. And put it, put that in some water. So uh, I made a little reservoir out of a plastic, like a deli container, with a lid on it. And I cut a hole in the lid, and I put the water in that deli container. And then I just set the plant on top of that, and set that, and and let that wick hang down into that water. And that provided a little bit of water, uh, you know, for quite a long time. And then I would just refill that. So. Um, I think there's information on how to do that on in that publication too. But even if you just run a nylon string, it has to be nylon because if it's cotton, it will mold and rot. And so you don't want that. So you want to use a nylon string. Okay. Thank you, Claire. Appreciate the call. Texter says this, how can I get my Easter cactus to bloom? Repotted it about three years ago. It put a lot of <clears throat> excuse me energy into the growth, but now will not bloom. 
So Easter cactus, Easter cactus is a completely different genus than the Schlumbergera, which is the Christmas and Thanksgiving cactus. And it's a completely different looking plant. Its leaves look similar. The cladophylls, those are the sections of those, uh, the, the branches. Um, but the flowers are really different. They look almost mm-hmm. more like a daisy style, an aster style daisy or type of flower. But those are plants that grow, uh, that will bloom in longer light. So they are not short day plants. So uh, as their name implies, they are more of a spring blooming plant. And so just I would just kind of uh, put them maybe in a little bit brighter light if you have a brighter window. And then again, just be sure they're draining well so that you're not overwatering them. But they are going to respond to our longer days versus the shorter days. Julia, texter wanted to know if there is such a thing as a smaller lilac bush, like a mini bush. In a, is there one that blooms longer than yeah, they do? Yeah, there are a there lot are. of different. Oh. Yep, there's a lot of different lilacs. It, you know, there's the there's the uh, uh, Meyer lilacs, which is more of a longer term blooming plant. You might want to go with one of those. They're smaller. Miss Kim is one of the uh, common cultivars that are on, on the market. There's also others as well. You could look at a lilac that's on a standard. In other words, it's grafted to a stem, and that makes a really dramatic plant, uh, an accent plant in your garden. But there, as far as our common lilacs go, um, that would be a good question for your local garden centers to ask them uh, if there are any common lilacs. That's our traditional lilac that blooms every spring and blooms for a short time. Uh, there might be some that bloom longer. I'm not really sure, but if you want something that's blooming a long time, that Meyer lilac is going to do it for you. And it's going to bloom later into the summer, not so much in the spring. Julie, another text says this, uh, I have three rhododendron bushes in my landscape last spring. After they all budded out, two flowered, but the third did not, and the leaves shriveled but did not die. It must have gotten some fungus or insect. Uh, Is there a chance it will come back this spring, do you think? Well, if you look at it now, you should see flower buds already set on it for spring bloom. So if it has no flower buds, there's not going to be any flowers. Uh, I don't know of a disease or an insect that might have affected it that way. It sounds to me like it uh, maybe isn't getting enough light or that maybe it wasn't. There's something going on with the roots that it wasn't able to take up water to rehydrate those leaves. Um, The best, I would say, give it another year. And see, you know, go out and look at it today. This is a great day to do that. And if you don't see any flower buds, then chances are you might want to consider replacing that plant with a, a new one or and then look at where it's planted. It might be in a little bit different environment than the other two. You know, we, talk, we open up the show and we were talking about our severe weather this uh, this past week. But the texter was wondering, do you think grape growers around here in apple orchards uh, are risk in Minnesota? Uh, risk of losing their crops to Oh, this. boy, we always wonder about that. Yeah. With our, with grapes and apples are a huge breeding program at the University of Minnesota. Yeah. And we take a lot of pride in that. That's always a question, but actually for those plants, probably a, a later freeze is a bigger risk because that's going to actually affect the flower buds that are uh, on the trees. I think uh, if the trees went into dormancy, then uh, hopefully... Their buds are not going to be affected by the cold, but if we get that late, like a cold snap in April or something, that's when we are most concerned about those flower buds freezing. All right, we have about a minute or so to go, Julie. We promised our listeners yes. you had a couple of, of things that people really perked up about. Yeah, a so, couple of websites. so one of the websites I just want to reiterate is myminnesotawoods.com. 
www.umn.edu. We had a gentleman who called earlier who's a forestry owner. He's a, or a woodland owner, is 20 acres, and that's a great website for that, but it's also a good website for anyone who has trees. So uh, we talked about the emerald ash borer, that it dies at minus 29, and uh, so that's a good thing about the cold that we had. But My Minnesota Woods is an excellent site. The other one is is Minnesota Weather Talk by Mark Seeley, who's our climatologist. He recently retired from the U of M, but he's still actively writing and researching and, and doing all his weather stuff, our climate stuff. Um, that is blog hyphen, the word blog hyphen, weathertalk.extension.umn.edu. You can Google Minnesota Weather Talk and it will pop right up. And that's an excellent site for understanding our crazy climate that we have here <laughs> in Minnesota and what's happening on a larger worldwide scale. Always good to see you, Julie. Yep. Extension.umn.edu. That's all that's the, the great. That's the place to go. In fact, if we have cold weather again, it's a great resource to sit by the fire that's right. and read. Thank you, Julie. Great. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.